one of the things um, that I've, I've known and admired about you for some time is you are one of the best and most gracious and articulate keyboard warriors in the world. <laughs> um, and that is right. A lot of people watching this are going to be familiar with this, oh. this phenomenon of uh, keyboard warriors. Uh, there are a lot of people who get online and engage in content. Most people not very thoughtfully or right. uh, conscientiously. You're an exception to the rule. Um, you are uniformly and without exception fair and earnest in your responses, and you regularly take a lot of time to respond to people with the level of seriousness that the topics deserve. So I've told you privately, I'm telling you public on, on camera now, I really admire you. And I don't think it's worthless. I think it's, it's a worthy ministry if we seed Facebook and other social media to, to Satan, then um, bad things are going to happen. I think we have to be salt right. and light, and I, th I think you are that. Even on social media, you need to be <sighs> salt and light. Yeah, oh, my well, gosh. Well, thank you for that encouragement because, as I said when you told me privately, it, you know, to be one of the best at something that's worthless <laughs> isn't, isn't what I should do with my right. life. But, but I do feel much of the time um, when I'm engaging on Facebook and social media, Pretty much just Facebook. I don't even have any other social media. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, I'm on Discord a little bit actually, but really. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's weird. We'll talk about that another time. Are you a gamer? A little bit, yeah. I did not know this. Really? Well, only if there's anything that's a waste of time, it's video <laughs> games. But we can talk about that some other time. Star Wars Squadrons. <laughs> and 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 that's it. That's the only one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right buddy yeah all right so you're anyway you're you're on those and uh, well okay so what are the things that go into making james lambert who james lambert is you and i have been buddies for some time mm -hmm. so you were were you born in altus or just raised in altus just raised in altus i was born in redondo beach california uh, my father was in the air force so i was one of those air force brats we okay moved all around but only when i was little did we move around so i went from California to um, Colorado Springs. Uh, when I was about three years old, um, I could say, my dad works in Space Command. And I always thought that was the coolest thing, Space Command. Really? You know? He was in Space Command? Yeah, yeah. That as, sounds cool. As a section of the Air Force that worked on, on space-related you know, projects um, for about a year and a half. Before the Space Force. Yeah, before the Space Force. That's yeah. what they turned, they converted that to the Space Force, basically. Interesting. To, to, to make the Space Force. So. We were in Colorado Springs briefly, and those are my first memories of church. Was First United Methodist Church, Colorado Springs. Okay. Um, I really was enamored with the choir, and would go home and wave my hands around and conduct my imaginary choir. And so I was into church music from early days. Sure. And Which is where I mean, you've already alluded to being in a praise band, but you're you're very active in yeah, in yeah. leading worship and song. Yeah, in my, been for a long time. In my current role, it's kind of unofficial and occasional whenever an extra music person is, is needed. But in my other churches that I've served full time, it's always been about 25% of my time has been right. leading, leading the contemporary music. In well, and I've never been able to tell listening to somebody who has a good singing voice and mm -hmm. who doesn't. I, had, I was very surprised the first time I heard your singing voice and I was like, man, that's really nice. Mm -hmm. And it's not that your speaking voice is bad. But it's just uh, you're you're very gifted on the keyboard and and in singing. So uh, there are a lot of people who think they're good musicians in the church and really aren't. You're one of the actually is. So, well, thank you. Yeah. But everyone needs to make a joyful noise. That's true. Yes, it doesn't matter how good you are. Okay. That's As John Wesley says, sing lustily. You're right. Yeah. Have you ever S sing with passion? Well, I don't want to go off on that, but yeah, that's a very important thing. So uh, Colorado Springs, then from there to Altus. From there to Rhode Island. Uh, oh wow. 
where my dad was at, at the Naval War College, which is just a, a military institution receiving a degree in some kind of strategic area um, that the Air Force wanted them to have. But that was a very brief stint. Um, I have good memories of that, though, of uh, walking um, through my backyard, through a forest, like a pebble beach area in R Rhode Island. And it was a beautiful place. Um, but then we were just there about a year, and then we moved to Altus, Oklahoma when I was five years old. And so we were an Air Force family in a town. Um, uh, how many people are in Altus? About 25,000 maybe, uh, somewhere in there. And, um, or actually a little less. Actually, it's under 20. Um, but my parents knew nothing about Oklahoma. Uh, my father um, was born in Massachusetts and grew up in California. And then my mother uh, was born and raised in New York. And um, so their idea of Oklahoma was like, you know, the typical um, people ride horses to school there and, you know, you live, in, te yeah. live in tents and, yeah, yeah all, all of that. And I didn't know Which anything about it. we still do, yeah. It's, oh, it's the way, Oklahoma way of life. Right. For anyone watching outside of Oklahoma Annual Conference, we still maintain the traditions. Very yeah, good. dugouts, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, when they got to Oklahoma, um, they were just struck by the, the friendly people. You know, I, I remember my parents looking around as we were um, house hunting, and these people would always be waving at them. And they're like, why are they waving at us? It's like, is, is my headlight out? Is there something wrong with my car? And then they eventually realized, no, people are just nice. You yeah. Know? And they, just saying hello. Yeah. That's Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. Still is that way, at least yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you grew up in Altus, and then were you there until you went to college? I was. Yeah. We, we and never were Methodist? We never knew that's where we would land, but okay. we did. So we, we uh, started out, I think Colorado Springs was the first Methodist church that yeah. we went to. My mother is Catholic in background, and my father was raised Presbyterian or Baptist and then Presbyterian. And so Methodist, as it is for many people, is a meet in the middle sort of a thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, uh, you you grew up in the Methodist Church in Altus, Oklahoma. In Altus, yeah. And then uh, studied music in high school. Studied music in in college um, and all kinds of things in in high school. But um, I, I did go to the Methodist Church. Um, my family, it, it took a while to knit into that church because it's a town church. There, there was sure. kind of the there were the town people and the Air Force people, um, and there, there, there oh, were a lot sure, of both, yeah. but, but kind of knitting those together took time. Um, and then I was, you know, not the most, not the most popular, not the most outgoing uh, sort of kid, but I, I generally got along with all the different social groups. And, um, but some of my really good friends were other denominations, were Assemblies of God. Um, there's some strong Assemblies churches in Altus, and then uh, Baptist, of course. And so I, I had different uh, denominational influences um, in my upbringing, um, including a, a really neat Bible study that a friend of mine put together um, where a bunch of high school students would meet in back of a, the, the local Bible bookstore, the, the Christian bookstore, and it was called Jesus Little Bible Study. And uh, my friend JP um, would just kind of lead it uh, like, like a little church, and uh, we were uh, kids from all different youth groups and then non-believers and people we would bring in, and it was... Uh, a wonderful little fellowship um, where I first started studying the scriptures uh, seriously uh, those last couple of years. And from from that point forward, would, were you uh, it, righteously following the Lord? Or mm. uh, it it started around around that time. I'm I'm one of those with a very kind of gradual um, conversion story. Sure, couldn't yeah. couldn't necessarily put my finger on it. Um, I I do remember. In elementary school, a good friend of mine named named Jared, who in the Assemblies of God, 
um, he would talk to me about his faith in a way that I knew that it was much more important to him than, yeah. than it was to me. Yeah. You know, like on the playground in school, and he would tell me what they were doing in church and the scriptures he was learning. And, and so I, I had that example. And then when I, when I got a little bit, uh, I, I went through confirmation in the United Methodist Church like, like so many do. And that was an important step to take in sixth grade uh, to confirm. Um, uh, I, I believe in Christ. I believe he's Lord. Um, but I never really, I was never one to doubt the existence of God or, or the, the truth of Christ. Uh, it just didn't sink into me um, until later in my teenage years that being a Christian is supposed to be the very center, the absolute yeah. center of my life, yeah. the center of my being. Growing yeah. up in the United Methodist Church there, did you ever encounter things that uh, are emblematic of uh, lukewarm Christian theology that's often found in the United Methodist churches, such as it's not very important to believe that Jesus is literally God or that he was born of a virgin or that uh, it's possible that other people of other religions make it to heaven? Yes, I, I did encounter that, not so much from the pulpit or from teachers, but from peers, you know. Um, and I, I would, yeah, we, we definitely struggled with lukewarmness for sure. Um, so my friend who led Jesus' little Bible study, um, JP, uh, he was a fellow Air Force brat who was a year ahead of me in school. He was a big rebel, uh, long hair, chains, um, you know, punk kind of a kid. Oh, wow. Um, and, and he was leading a Bible study. Well, well, right. But so when I first met him, uh, he was not a Christian. He was not a believer at oh. all. He was, he, was, he was atheist. You know, he told me, you know, God doesn't exist. Um, religion is just something that people use to control people, that, that, that grown-ups use to control the oh, young. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. And that was his worldview. And his family went to the Methodist church like, like I did. And, you know, I was like the opposite of him in every way, but I thought he was really cool and just listened to everything he said, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, didn't share those beliefs, but just kind of follow him around a little bit. Um, but before long, um, he went off to district camp, to United Methodist really? district camp. Okay. Uh, and I, I never got to go to camp as a kid, because my, my family and I were always traveling in the summer to oh, see okay. grandparents going sure. to California, going to Florida. But uh, JP went to camp, um, must have been before his junior year, before my sophomore year, something like that. Um, and he was radically saved. Um, he was born again at United Methodist Clinton District Camp. All right. Um, and through a combination of ministry of, of the, the speakers and peers and youth leaders, and, and, um, and he came back a totally different person. Wow. And so I saw him transformed. I saw my friend transformed. And I had other friends in my life that, that lived out a, a vital Christian faith. And, and through those friendships and conversations, uh, you know, I was asked again and again, are you saved? When were you saved? And um, I never really could, could pinpoint the exact time, but, but many times, many times I prayed the prayers, you know, yeah. the the salvation prayer, yeah. the, the, the sinner's prayer, if yeah. I was at an Assemblies of God revival or an event at the Baptist Church, you know, many times I would pray, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. Yeah. Uh, please come come to save me. Um, and uh, and I, I began to realize that, that being a Christian should be the, the center of who you are, that your relationship with Christ, um, your, your, your trust in His grace, and uh, th that faith, everything else should flow from that. Um, so... I would often have doubts, though, like, am I saved? Because my friends have this this uh, point of experience, and I don't have the exact point of experience. And, you know, I didn't want to, like, manufacture that. Sure. I didn't want to pretend, you know, that I didn't care about God before, but I, but I do now. Um, so I, I went to, but I got to go to church camp for the first time um, uh, summer of 97. 
is Dayspring Camp, 1997. Dayspring, a wonderful um, institution, wonderful tradition in Oklahoma Methodism. Yeah. Started around 1970. I forget it was if it was shortly before or after. Came out of the lay witness movement. Um, oh right, I knew yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And and 1997 was the third summer, or it was the first summer that they had Dayspring at three different places, the three great United Methodist Oklahoma campgrounds, a Canyon Camp there in Hinton, Oklahoma. Um, so for the first time, I experienced a Christian small group of my peers meeting several, two or three times a day. Um, just sharing what God was doing in our lives and and doing doing Bible study about a basic way of salvation kind of stuff and hearing testimonies of uh, peers of students whose lives have been transformed uh, through faith in Christ and um, the the model of that camp you know they're still going strong that the model of that camp hasn't changed in 40 or 50 years yeah. of um, Bible preaching from from pastors and youth leaders and then several testimonies um, from from peers uh, um, Jesus has changed your life. And so in that time, that was the, f and I, again, I don't know the exact moment, but somewhere in the small groups and the worship, God gave me peace um, since that summer, since that week. Um, I never after that doubted, um, am Pretty I close saved? close to the Aldersgate experience. Am I a child of God? Um, the Lord just gave me peace in that. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So that was a, a touchstone. Well, that was a developmental milestone for you. And then um, it proceeded into college. You were part of the Wesley Foundation there at OU. Right, right. Um, so that that was the day spring was before my senior year in in high school. And and so in that time, I was searching the scriptures. Uh, I was in that Bible study with friends and and would just, you know, had a hunger um, for the scriptures and whatever Bible verses my friend JP would assign to us. I would go home and read and, 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 and search them. And, and then um, also had a good youth leader at, at church. Um, Randy Pratt was his name, and, and um, he was an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. Um, and Randy actually began to give me my sort of education in Methodist struggles in United Methodist politics and, and uh, uh, liberal and conservative factions of the church and, and, and things like that. So I started to sort of learn the lay of the land and what was going on uh, my senior year in high school. Um, an, another uh, transformative experience for me was the walk to, or actually my chrysalis flight, which is the the, uh, the teen version of the walk to Emmaus. Um, I had forgotten to call it a flight. Chrysalis like flight. Like you're a little yeah, butterfly. You're a little butterfly. How nice, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, it, was, it was a wonderful, wonderful re retreat. Um, it's a version of a, a short course on Christianity where you have 15 talks, um, five clergy walk talks. Walk to Emmaus. Yeah, the yeah. walk to Emmaus. Uh, five, five, five clergy talks that show you the way of salvation and God's grace, prevenient and justifying and sanctifying, and then ten laity talks. Um, um, and for chrysalis, it's like five teenagers and five adults who are all laity and um, about what's most important in your life and how you're following Christ. And um, that was when I first heard a call to ministry. That's when I first sort of discerned that God was pulling me in a that direction. That was your senior year of high school. Yeah, yeah. So that was after senior year of high school. That oh, was okay. after graduation between high school and college. Okay. Yeah. So you felt the call to ministry. Were, were you clear that you're a deacon? If, if yes. We haven't said that yet. Were you clear that you wanted to be a deacon at that point? Not at all clear. Okay. Not at all clear on anything really. Um, but I, I just began to feel a pull to to um, be in the church and um, serve the Lord um, in everything I do. And um, but I was studying music. So I, I studied music at OU. Um, also studying physics, had a, a physics minor, so just hanging around with arts people and science people and Methodist people, um, and uh, had a, 
a wonderful um, time at the University of Oklahoma. Cool. Um, took five years there, getting my uh, degree in, in music, and um, I spent a lot well, of time Well, am I right Wesley. in thinking that you, uh, so yeah, the Wesley Foundation is the Methodist, United Methodist presence mm -hmm. on campus. Mm -hmm. Am I right in thinking that you serve on the board that oversees all of them in our conference? Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for the so you're still a big supporter. I am a big supporter of campus ministry. Um, yeah, for the past seven years, I've served on that board, and of course, I'll be going off of that whenever uh, disaffiliation happens. Yeah. So you you uh, you spent a time a period in discernment and then uh, yeah trained to become a deacon in, in the United right. Methodist Church. Yeah, it was about my sophomore year of college. That when you're in college, everyone's always asking you, "What are you going to do with your life? Yeah, right. Um, what's what's next?" And I got tired of saying, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I would always say, I don't know. I'm studying music, studying physics, doing a lot in church. Um, I had a moment of clarity at one point, you know, about the 20th time somebody asked me, uh, you know, what are you going to do with your life? That actually it was a girl that I had a crush on at the sure. time, you know, which, which tends to help, help bring clarity to certain things. So, yeah, and it's just at that moment I, I said to myself, this doesn't feel right anymore to say, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to be in ministry. Um, and then uh, shortly through help, with help from the campus minister there, Brad Humphrey, um, I learned about different, um, different ministry options in the United Methodist Church and the Order of Deacon. And um, at that point, I thought, I'm going to do music and I'm going to do Christian education. Um, and uh, that's more or less what I have done um, in my time um, with, with a lot of general pastoral work um, mixed in. All the things that pastors do that that you know they, they don't teach you in seminary, but yeah, um, yeah, I am a I'm a deacon. In, in in my time as a deacon, um, I have it, it has been a pastoral role as as well. So kind of when you start out, a lot of times as a deacon, they, they tell you you're not supposed to be called a pastor, so you try to split the hairs and and uh, but just the word pastor rolls off the tongue more than the word minister does, you know, and I. I, I really appreciate what the United Methodist Church has done in, sure. re, in recovering the historical diaconate. Um, okay. So deacons had a particular role right. in, the, in the early church, um, a particular role of helping to lead worship, um, of being, you know, reading the scriptures, leading prayers. Um, and of course, in the, in the uh, book of Acts, the role of the deacon began as servants who would um, help serve the food, help distribute food to the widows and the poor. Um, and so they had a particular role, but then very quickly the Holy Spirit started doing other things with the deacons and using them as evangelists. Oh, yeah, and all Philip, of a sudden yeah. they were out preaching just like the elders were. So the, um, the duties of a deacon are fluid, always have been since Acts. Um, and so I think in, in, in a well-meaning way, um, the United Methodist Church and other mainline Protestant denominations have tried to recover the diaconate um, uh, as a, a separate order of ministry with a different purpose and not just a stepping stone. Yeah. In the Anglican tradition, it had become basically just a stepping stone. There was nothing special about deacon. It was just like on the way to elder. Um, with good intentions, we, we raised up the order of deacon to make much of it, but I think we made too much of it in so doing because we, we made the educational requirements pretty much the same as they were for elders, um, slightly less. There, there are options. We've made the ordination process and all the bureaucratic process the same as, as it is for elders. And the, the effect of that, e even as much as we didn't want it to be that way, was to put up barriers in front of lots of people that I believe have the calling as deacons. There should be just as many deacons as there are elders or more. I've known so many people in churches, large and small, who are lifetime church staff. 
you know, who are serving the church of the Lord um, as youth ministers, children's ministers, music ministers, and also ad administrative leaders and in many different roles who I would think if, if they were led through a process of discerning their call, you know, they're, they're serving the Lord, they have a very similar call to me. Um, a deacon is fundamentally a servant. Um, but, but so many of those who might answer the call to be an uh, ordained deacon set apart by the church for this ministry haven't even begun, uh, haven't even begun the journey because of, of all, all, all the hurdles yeah. and requirements. Yeah. Do you think there should be more elders? Well, that's a good question. Because like biblically, it seems to me that there was always more than one elder in any given church, right? Yeah, I, I don't know what I think of that. Um, I, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Another day. Yeah, it's just it's it seemed odd to me that we have this system where by design the majority of our churches have only one elder. Um, I I'm not privy to the conversations that led to that. So anyway, um, we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge your lovely wife, Christine. When did she come into the picture of your life? Yeah, uh, she came into my life in the year 2010. Um, I was in uh, in Enid, Oklahoma. Um, serving as associate pastor at Willow View United Methodist in Enid. Um, I was on a, a few dating sites at the time, online dating. eHarmony is where Christine and I met. We, we skipped a lot of my life in there, but that's okay. I went yeah. to seminary and was serving full-time ministry. Um, and so I met Christine on eHarmony. I was in Enid. She was in Broken Arrow, which is about two hours away. And um, I found each other. Uh, you know, it, it, it worked for us. We, we both joke that that... At that at that moment in our lives, the online dating process was like a part time job, like like an additional part time job. You Yikes! Know, come home from work, get on, see the, the the profiles and the people you're talking to, and fill out the essay questions and everything, and get to know each other. But um, anyway, uh, that's how we met, and we were two hours away. And so what we did when we wanted to meet up was we'd go to Stillwater, yeah, um, which was kind of halfway in between, and that was our, our first date was there in Stillwater, and so. Uh, Christine um, is a Methodist now with me, but but her background is Pentecostal, yeah. uh, Italian Pentecostal. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So everybody always laughs at that because most Italian people are Catholic, but her family um, is Pentecostal from the Assemblies of God and this other group called Christian Congregations. It's kind of a fundamentalist Pentecostal group that started among Italian immigrants in Chicago. Cool. Yeah, it's a uh, an interesting background and. Um, and so, um, you know, she's someone who believes in the, the Holy Spirit and His work, and uh, has a strong faith. And um, you know, she she uh, knows her Bible as well as I do for sure. And um, wonderful. And uh, she went to ORU um, and studied, uh, has a degree in international nonprofit development from Or Roberts uh, cool. University. So it's kind of like basically business degree, missions degree, sure, together. And uh, for the before. For the year before I met her, Christine was in Tanzania t teaching English with a mission organization there called Village Schools uh, International. That is cool. Yeah, yeah. Tanzania. Tanzania. Yeah, she, and she, she speaks Swahili. Uh, no way. I didn't know this. She speaks Swahili. I would say fluently, but she yeah. would say, oh, no, not fluently. But uh, she has a, a real talent for language acquisition. Dude, that's crazy. Is it yeah. wasted or is she able to... To use it, no. She, I mean, if she, occasionally she'll run into someone who speaks Swahili, it'll come right back to her. Okay. Um, but like I said, she has a gift for languages. So, in the present, she's for the last couple of years, she's been, she's been very studiously teaching herself Spanish, wow. a little more practical language to have in our sure, yeah. area of the world, and then also uh, studying sign language. And uh, she's going to make a career change to sign language interpreter. 
Wow, uh, what a lady. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's really cool. So many people get married, and then they just kind of like phone it in. Yeah, no, not not Christine. That's um, awesome. She's, she is a lifelong learner. For sure. And you you have a lifelong learner daughter with her, right? That's right. Uh, Naomi, she's seven. Um, my daughter's age. Well, a little bit older. Yeah, yeah. yeah named after my great grandmother, Naomi, and of course and, uh, not the biblical Naomi. Well, you know her too. <laughs> sure. Uh, and the name means sweet. Right. So yeah. uh, your your service record. Uh, you went. Where did you mm-hmm. go to seminary? I went to Asbury. Okay. Yes. Oh, I knew this. Where yeah. my brother went. Yeah. And you yeah. had a great experience there, right? Wonderful experience at Asbury. Um, online from 2004 to 2006, and then in person from 2006 to 2008. Okay. Um, before seminary, I was at the Wesley Foundation in Norman and working at Bridgeview, the church I already mentioned in Norman. So kind of a combination of part-time jobs. Took a couple of years between college and seminary, then then uh, started seminary and uh, went out to Kentucky. Came back from there to serve at Willowview in Enid for five years. I was commissioned and ordained during my time at Willowview. That was a uh, general catch-all uh, associate pastor, you know, kind of do the, the old joke, anything the senior pastor doesn't want to do, um, anything that needs done, uh, yes. but got a wonderful education there uh, from the senior pastor I was serving with and the congregation I was serving with, and I uh, got to do, um, I always did, always did discipleship, teaching, small groups, um, and did some uh, evangelism um, and outreach kind of things and uh, pastoral care and uh, organizing lay shepherding and all kinds of things. Um, and then from there, went to Faith United Methodist Church. In Tulsa. Here, in, uh, down there in Tulsa, down, down the there. Down there, yeah. And um, that was a wonderful church. Um, got to lead the discipleship team there, lead some staff there. Uh, kids ministry, student ministry, senior adult ministry, and I was adult ministry and led that team. Um, had a great time, uh, wonderful people. That was a middle-of-the-road church. That is a middle-of-the-road church. Right. Um, that's the kind or of church... Ta- theologically speaking. Yeah, theologically yep. speaking, right. So that's the kind of church that is struggling a great deal in in our current Methodist situation. Yeah, where are they going to land, yeah. Yeah. And uh, really, that, that church... Um, it, it was in their DNA from the from the beginning. Really? Um, yeah. It, the uh, if you go to the chapel at uh, at Faith, there is a newspaper clipping on the wall um, of the founding pastor Kip Wright, 1978, wearing bell-bottom jeans, leaning up against the side of a barn. Oh my! Being interviewed by the Tulsa World, uh-huh. and he is quoted. It, it was the craziest quote for 1978, but he he was quoted as saying, "I have no preconceived notion of where this church will be theologically." I'll say huh. that again. Yeah. Founding pastor, in new bell church. In the you know what? That's the sort of thing I would assume a guy in bell-bottoms would say. I, I know, but you just you don't think that a, a pastor nowadays would never say that because people found churches with like, well, this is our mission, and everything yeah. we do is around this mission. Right. But for them, and, and, and for him, it was, I have no preconceived notion around where this church will be theologically, but we will be in mission and in service to all people. Uh, and their original name was Mission UMC, and they, they changed it to, to Faith. But um, so he didn't want to to exclude anyone uh, on the right or the left, and so set a very broad net. And well, that that set the tone of that church that it would hold for forty plus years. Yeah. And a lot of wonderful people have come out of there um, in, into ministry, and um, there's been a lot of evangelical um, uh, pastors and leaders come out of there, and also been a lot of progressive pastors and, and leaders come out of there. And, and um, when you're when you're in a situation like that uh, for a long time, that can it feels normal. And so, you know, back on the bigger picture of, of United Methodism, 
we've, um, we've grown up with the church, with the, the denomination being an arena for competing ideologies. And that just feels normal to us. Um, and then we try to include everyone, the, the, the leaders who are trying to hold it all together, right. try to include everyone. You know, I remember a bishop once at an annual conference you know, saying, you know, whether, you th whether you think of it as saving souls or making disciples or reaching all people or whatever, you know, use different phrases that, that appeal to different people, we're, we're um, just accustomed to competing ideologies within the church, but that's not what the church is supposed to be. The bishop the, said that? Um, yes, there was a bishop that said that once. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I know which bishop that was. That was <laughs> yeah. a bold thing to say. Okay. Well, um, I went from his quote into me talking more. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So it started with, okay. Yeah, yeah. What, what, I was going to say. Sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. Whether you think of it as saving souls or making disciples. And there were a few other phrases. I don't remember the other He the said, other phrase. it's okay. It's play ball. We all do the same work. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, even so, that's what I would expect from a Methodist. Bishop. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, might, so, so you had a lot of good years at Faith, and then it was time for you to move on, and, and now you're at Asbury. Yes. Yeah, pastor of adult discipleship at Asbury. And you've been there three years? Three years. Yeah. Wow, time and flies. It is huge. It is... Uh, yeah, it's the biggest church in our annual conference, right? Absolutely, yeah. And it's so unlike any other place I've ever been. But each step um, of the way for me has been a larger church than, than the one before. And, and you, you get in there, and it's, a, it's an overwhelming scale. And then you sort of get used to it after a while. I guess. I don't know mm -hmm. how I'd get used to that. That's just so many. Yeah. You know, w when we gather on a Sunday morning, everybody knows everybody. And uh, it's just a very different feel from, I've been in that sanctuary with a thousand people before at Asbury. Mm -hmm. And it's quite a thing. It is. It's a yeah. lot of noise, a lot of volume, a lot of yeah. sensory right. uh, stimulation. So, and of course, that's not the extent of the church. That's just one thing. But Asbury is capable of, uh, just has a lot of muscle, a lot of mass, mm -hmm. a lot of, um, well, is is the first church in our annual conference to say, hey, we're leaving. Uh, right. We don't want to be a part of this anymore. And then uh, you guys have recently received a new pastor um, who seems to be a good fit. And, yes, uh, Andrew Forrest. Yeah, you have, you have a good team working there, all uh, working together with different strengths. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure they're happy to have you. And Sounds like you're happy to be there. Yeah, it's a great place to be. So you're a teacher. Um, you have been for a long time, and uh, you're gifted in a number of, of different areas. The the particular the particular area that we thought it would be good to talk about today is a history lesson. And um, there was a Firebrand article you sent me, mm -hmm. Methodism, How We Went Wrong, that we're going to have in the show notes yeah, um, Firebrand's been a good resource. It's uh, it's pretty thoughtful, um, and it was it's a series done with that intention. But um, there's a lot of history. You know, we're not born magically knowing our history. We no, just inherit not. what we've yeah. what we've got. And and even knowing how to ask the right questions or imagine how things used to be different could be different today. Mm. Um, it's it's really a rare thing actually to find many people who know much about the history and are plugged into the local church. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people in the academy know and have a kind of dispassionate distance from it, but within local churches uh, to find people who know our history and what we used to be. Yeah. And then, uh, so so in the, the audience for this, we're imagining other clergy, but also laity who just care right. about the United Methodist Church and want to have a grasp of who the GMC could be or who they could be mm -hmm. if they leave or what the UMC should be if they stay. Um, so 
what what were you prepared for today with regards to this? Yeah, well, so first I'll say that the reason I'm into church history and Methodist history is it's not just kind of a academic pursuit or whatever, but it's because in the course of uh, receiving new members, you know, we, we do new member visits, a pastor will visit with each person coming in at Asbury. Um, I'll just over and over feel like I need to explain to folks, why are we splitting? You know, what's the Methodist split? What's that about? Yeah. A lot of people know a little bit but before we come in, but um, we, we need to be able to explain that. Right. So if, you've, if you're in a church that's going a different direction, you, you need to be able to explain why, and that helps people to, to feel good about where they are. Um, but uh, one, one thing I've been saying lately is that um, the, the, uh, both the progressives and the conservatives in the United Methodist Church, for the longest time, we thought we could outgrow each other. Okay, and so what, one of the reasons we're in the place we're in is because back in the 90s, um, evangelicals would look around and say, oh, we've got these terrible problems, um, and our church has such a bad reputation, our denomination, if only those liberals would, would, would go somewhere else, if only they weren't causing the problems they're causing, then our churches could grow. You know, because we were we were we were even then thinking in a market mindset. We sure. were thinking okay. we wanted to attract the the Christians, the believers. You know, our churches would grow, um, but also not also an outreach to to nonbelievers. The the um, the uh, the the current mores were not mainstream yet. So the the idea of marriage between people of the same sex. You know, most people in the '90s still believed that marriage was between a man and a woman. So the differences between us were not as stark as today. Um, well, that's another topic. They they were the differences were the differences in left and right were were quite stark. Just in, in I guess in the mission ways. missions agencies was a big uh, touchstone of, of debate yeah. at that time. And that, yeah, there was clearly yeah going way back between left and right. But it still seems with social issues and how they correspond to like the nightly news. Mm. Was there as much overlap? Um, no, I mean. Well, so in that time, the, these issues were big in the church, yeah, but not secularly. Yeah, there wasn't the so clear that, so, correspondence. So yeah, so we were arguing about homosexuality. Yeah, in the United Methodist Church. Yeah, and other mainline denominations, but the culture was not arguing about it in the same way. Yeah, they were arguing about, like I remember, gays in the military was like a, a headline. You know, oh, yeah, that, I remember that, that, yeah. that kind of thing. But it, it wasn't the same kind of intense fight. So, so um, to, to 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 say that the Main point here, we thought we could outgrow each other. Yeah. So if, if evangelicals thought, well, we don't need to, we don't need a heavy hand to resolve the, the issues in our in our denomination. We just need to keep growing our churches, and then we we began to be aware that Africa was growing. United Methodists in Africa were growing, and we thought most people in the Philippines were on our side, and Eastern Europe, and so eventually the progressives would kind of fade away, because progressive religion um, tends to not produce the same kind of fervency. Um, and 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 that could be a whole whole, t- mm. whole whole topic of its own, but you know pr- progressives tend to take over religious institutions rather than create them from scratch. The ones they create from scratch tend not to um, not to to do very much. Yeah, um, CUM. So, what was that denomination? The UM Connection. Yeah, the the, the um, Liberation Methodist Connection. That, yeah, that was it. Yes. Um, they 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 have. You can go to their website and see exactly how they describe where yeah. they're at. It's actually yeah. quite descriptive, yeah. quite quite explanatory. Um, the way I would summarize it is their board of directors that was tasked with 
helping form this new denomination that might, might have come out of the, the protocol for separation, the way I would paraphrase it is they can't decide how Christian they want to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've read it, and it's, it's a very earnest, this was harder than we thought it was going to be. Exactly, yeah. Uh, they didn't say it's unworkable, but they were just like, we couldn't do it, you know. So yeah. I, I really appreciated them being earnest about it. Yeah, and, and so from the, for, for the evangelicals, we thought, we thought we could outgrow the progressives. And then from the progressives, or the uh, progressives, probably the newer term, you, they would call themselves liberals even back in the 80s and 90s. It was the same thing the other way around. The, those conservatives will fade away. Um, they will be enlightened. Um, each generation will become more liberal. And so both sides in our divide have shown a lot of patience, just kind of thinking that the other side would fade away and, and their side would, would grow. Yeah. We, we both thought that. And it hasn't happened for either one of us, for, for, for either side. Um, and But we've grown up in this place where there's these competing ideologies within the church, and we just think that's normal, uh, but it's not normal. Um, and you, you've got the, the Kevin Watson books behind you, the, yeah. the, the class meeting, and Kevin Watson is a scholar who's very gifted um, in, in many areas, but one of those areas is explaining why United Methodists um, are not, in fact, better together and uh, why a separation needs to happen. And when you have, um, and one, one thing he says is when you have a topic as, as big as sexuality, that is an extremely important area of people's lives. Mm -hmm. And humans need guidance in the area of sex. Like, we think about it a lot. It's a big part of life. And so if you're, you're the church, you're the church of Jesus Christ, we gather each Sunday to worship the Creator. We open up His Word. Like, yeah. we, we read this book that is supposed to represent God's message to us about all important things in life. And if someone is looking for moral guidance and someone is looking for how do I handle this area of my life? Yeah. Um, the Church of Jesus Christ should be able to give them guidance, should be able to give an answer. And it's, it's in completely incoherent for two, um, two franchises, so to speak, to, of, of, of the same organization you know, to give completely opposite answers um, if, if someone who is earnestly seeking and wondering, um, you know, should I pursue this lifestyle? Should I be married to someone of the same sex? Um, or should I... Uh, should should I repent of this and should I uh, yeah. deny this part of myself or now these are yeah. not compatible yeah it, there's a, a yes and a no yeah. um, you can't have yes and no at, at, at the same time um, you have 180 degrees divergent messages coming from different United Methodist churches that feels normal to us if we've grown up in it but um, it's not actually the way it should be it's it's incoherent yeah yeah I don't know what else there is to say. Yeah. I mean, so I, the, the thing that's new with me about it is uh, this comparison to kind of arms race in the Cold War or something where we've both been amassing. I would say that both sides have been right in different degrees. Uh, the right-leaning yeah. churches in America have softened on their fidelity to doctrine yes. a lot of times, but also the, the very doctrinally solid churches have grown much more than Western churches. Um, yeah. So yeah. So part of me has been inclined to say, Let's see it through. Let's let's see this thing through to, bit, to the bitter end. I I read a, a Firebrand article several, three years ago now that said, look, when you look at the the fights in the early church, they lasted for a century sometimes, and mm. we don't have it in us to fight for a couple decades, you know. Mm. Um, and I think if you believe that the United Methodist Church is the one true church, then yeah, you need to fight. But if it turns out you can serve Jesus just fine in other denominationally affiliated churches or even a non-denom church then it, it turns into a, 
what are we fighting over then? You know, like, am I really mm. willing to center my life around this? Is this really the equivalent of the Arian heresy? Or can I step out and just join a place where this is not a fight? And, and in the end, it just seems we're fighting over real estate. Um, and, you know, it, it's easy to shrug at that, but I've got stained glass windows in this church that are 110 years old mm-hmm. that we can't just say, oh, sayonara, that means nothing. You know, all the, the generations of people that came before in this church that sacrificed to make this what it was, oh, well, now we have a theological disagreement, so this church is dead to us. The building is dead to mm-hmm. us. You know, that's, that's very convenient for uh, bodies where their, their building is, is not very old. Um, and there isn't much history, but when, when you have people who are the third generation worshiping in the same building that yeah. their grandparents did, um, it's just heartless. And it, I mean, yes, the building doesn't save you, absolutely. But even so, there's so much sentimental value that you want to make sure that you do not end that relationship unless it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, there's, there's competing cultural values there. Um, there, are, there are people who are more attached to the institution and the church they grew up in and the history. And then there are people who are just kind of church hoppers and, and, and go around from place to place and see themselves as, as spiritual pilgrims. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I run into that um, a lot on, on social media in where someone will post a complaint of what's going on in their church and how the pastor is not allowing them to, dis- to talk, even talk about disaffiliation. And then someone will come along and very helpfully comment, oh, well, you can just disaffiliate yourself and vote with your feet and, you know, you're free to go anywhere, you know, and well, that might be helpful to you, but it's not helpful to the person who's posting. Yeah. Um, because, and then we all, uh, you know, it's, it's very human to just assume that your own perspective is better, is the superior and more, more mature perspective. And so those who see themselves as spiritual pilgrims will think, well, that's the superior, more mature Christian way to look at it. And those poor souls who are tied to the building, you know, they're, you're, you're tied to material things and, and worldly things, right. and you just need to be, to be free of that. Yeah. Well, but, but that being tied to place is part of human nature. I think that's part of our God-given human nature, being, being tied to place and community and not wanting to, to unmoor yourself um, from your well, community. Well, there's a reason why Jesus came in, in Judea rather mm. than, you know, Spain. The, the, yeah. the holy land is the holy land. There's something about the land. There is something important about place, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, we're, we're not these dualists who believe there is no value in the material. Like, we no. believe that God saves the material, redeems the material. We believe in the bodily resurrection. So Amen. Um, to, to separate so starkly from physical environment just is, is not, I, I would say it's, it's not a Christian understanding of what corporeal existence looks like. That, yeah, you don't want to be a slave either to a building. What's, what's the, do you feel like you have an insight on something that's true and helpful pertaining to the United Methodist quandary that mm. most United Methodists don't appreciate or know? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, I should have told you. Yeah. I didn't even know I was going to ask it yeah. before now. But, I mean, what's the point of listening to me and you? I mean, I feel like I have insights that are helpful. Mm. And I'm sure you do, too. I'm not sure if you you, you, you put it in those terms. Yeah, I, I don't think my insights are unique by any means. Um, I just think I'm pretty good at explaining them um, to, to, to individuals. And the, the, the written format is, is kind of my, my forte. And right. this, this kind of thing is, is, is different for me. But um, the kind of the, the two points of history that, that I you know, came here wanting to talk about, one of them we just did, where both groups have been going on their own path, thinking that they would 
would outgrow the other one yeah. in the end. But that's the experience of my generation within our lifetimes. Yeah. Um, but the conflict goes much farther back. Well, goes to 100 beginning. to 150 years. Oh, okay. You know, I was going to yeah. say to like Jude. Yeah. Be, be, <laughs> goes as back as, as, as far back as you want it sure, to. Sure, okay. As far back as you want it to go. Garden but, of Eden. But no. the, so the, the, I'm going to shut up. I'm sorry. The article that we posted, well, like the, the Where Did We Go Wrong article, the, yep. the Firebrand article, I encourage everyone to read that. Um, you would see that in both the, uh, the Northern Methodist Church and the Southern Methodist Church, Methodist Episcopal Church and Methodist Episcopal Church South, they both had Sunday school superintendents or denominational Sunday school executives in the 1890s who were already advocating for a revised religion, a revised theology. And it, it happened subtly at first, but they would say things like, we, we, um, we want to get away from the sentimental religion of our parents and grandparents. Um, and we, we don't want to preach instantaneous conversion any longer. We want to preach uh, gradualism. Now, of course, my own testimony is gradualism, but without those who had an instantaneous conversion, my gradual conversion wouldn't have happened. Um, and and they would uh, they change the focus away from uh, sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit to sanctification through education, you know, to 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 improvement through education, um, and so even though the the bulk of believers were quite um, what we would call evangelical and orthodox in all branches of Methodism throughout the 19th and 20th centuries, at the top, at the top level and the, among the intellectual elites and, and the people publishing Sunday school curriculums, there was quite a divergence already at the turn of the 20th century from what they were going toward. They, they weren't trying to move people toward the same thing that their parents and grandparents were moving people toward. Um, the, uh, the, the, the original impetus of Methodism was toward conversion. It was toward um, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and then sanctification realized in this life. Yeah. And, and the preaching was to that end, and the group meetings were to that end. And um, as, as, as Kevin Watson communicates in, in his books, the, the class meeting and, and the band meeting, which I highly recommend everybody read, um, that w we had everything we did in early Methodism was oriented toward getting people to the next step along the way of salvation. And um, actually, Sunday school, the Sunday school model replaced that. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, instead of gathering with a group of folks to say, how is it with your soul? Yeah, to look inward. What's God doing in your life? Yeah. How's the Holy Spirit working in yeah. you? You were gathered in a classroom with a teacher, um, you know, telling you what was true about scriptures. Yeah. Um, and even if most of what you were getting was true and truth and good doctrine, um, you were missing out on the spiritual growth in Christ, um, which you would get from, from those kind of groups. So um, those, the, the divisions have been there for a long time, and they're just now playing out. And so it's um, 100, 140 years in the making are, are, are divisions. And uh, now the... The um, response that often comes to that from 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 progressives and, and clergy, but also just from 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 lay people and people trying to figure this out is, well, if the divisions go way back, then why are we just dividing now? Yeah. So if you because um, the the conservative side says, well, it, this is not just about sex. It's it's not just about homosexuality. Right. Because we don't want people to think that 
we're bigots and obsessed with sex and, and all those things we're concerned about, about appearances. But also, very truly, it's not just about sex. It's about authority of Scripture. It's about core theologies of salvation. And um, governability of the church. Yeah, and, 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 and governability of the church. But then the, the response is, but if that's the case, why didn't we split 50 years ago? Why, why didn't we split at some other point? It's just now because it's just about sex. Um, but uh, so that's where I think the, the answer I gave earlier, that we both, both sides thought we would outgrow each other. That's, that's where that comes in. Um, not until this moment in history did we realize it's not going to resolve itself. Um, there, there needs to be a separation. Well, and I would agree with that, but I would also say the primary reason why we have to split is now we have open rebellion that's not being punished. Yeah. And that's the thing that we yeah. haven't had before. Um, I'm sure there have been events in the past where there should have been more discipline than, than should mm -hmm. have been. But to have open disregard from entire jurisdictions or conferences or boards of ordained ministry, to my knowledge, we've never seen anything like that within. Right. So that, that reminds me of something mentioned in the article about where we went wrong. So it was, uh, I believe, 1904. Four, there was a or five there was a church trial I think it was Borden Parker Brown is, is that right um, Brown Brown yeah a, a a theological disagreement in the the fundamentalist modernist controversy where there was a heresy trial early 1900s in the Methodist Church that went nowhere and and was um, was was dismissed basically that was a defining moment for that generation and that defining moment says said we will not hold our our doctrinal standards with seriousness. Um, we 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 will not um, cause someone to lose their livelihood as a seminary professor because they teach something that is contradictory to a few sentences in our in our in our discipline in our governing book. So for that generation, they 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 made that choice. About theology, um, and and so from from that point on, that's why we've had a century of competing ideologies, competing theologies. We we coexist in the same organization, having radically different beliefs on the inside, and so we try to get along and cooperate in things that are kind of on the surface yeah. where we can find common ground. But we have different beliefs about what's true about God and humanity and eternal destiny and salvation and everything. Um, that, that, that's moving us forward if we're on the right or on the left. Um, so but we've come to the point in our generation where you know, the, the, the ship sailed theologically and doctrinally a long time ago, but we'd been held together by, by process and by, by rules. And so um, we, we knew we disagreed on the nature of marriage um, and the nature of sexuality and the boundaries, but as long as we could agree that um, a, a minister wouldn't perform a homosexual union, um, we, we were able to stay together because there was an honoring of, we disagree, but most of us think this, and this is what's in the book, and we're going to follow what's in the yeah. book. Yeah. Um, so we, we got there a century ago with theology. We, we've not been united theologically in a century, but now we're no longer united in governance. Yeah. We're no longer united in discipline. There we go. Okay. I thought you were disagreeing with me, but then you agreed with me. Exactly. So we're happy. Yeah. Well, I think that's a happy place to end in agreement. I think we agree on most things. And, I mean, it's not um, the, the dream that conservatives are casting is not that you're going to find a body that believes on every single punctiliar detail. 
No. Uh, but that we can be united in heart and mind and direction and and that the uh, tension that the United Methodist Church has wanted to carry that started off with and it's exacerbated, it's not healthy, it's not good, it's not glorifying God. Um, in case it needs to be said, I'm, I'm not as clear on where my future is. Mm. Um, so the, the intention of me sitting down and, and filming this is not to urge people to leave the UMC. Um, I am a conservative, and I think that 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 uh, that traditional uh, approaches to Scripture are right, and that left-leaning ones are wrong. I, I have that clarity, but I don't have clarity about uh, the promise that the GMC or life outside of the UMC holds. I don't have clarity about um, how uh, foregone the conclusion is that conservatism can win the day in the United Methodist Church, um, and I'm I'm not as clear on. Uh, the freedom I should feel to, to leave uh, the place I'm at. So John Wesley was known for saying that schism should only happen, leaving one's body should only happen when uh, you cannot obey the scriptures mm -hmm. or uh, you are being compelled to disobey the scriptures. Um, and as it is, I, I feel like I haven't been put there yet, um, but it does seem quite likely that I will be if mm. things are on this. So, so yeah. how, what kind of position do I want to be when that day comes? Mark Tooley and others warn the day's going to come, and it's better to get out sooner rather than later. Mm. And so I, I hear that. I hear that from, from many places, and, and I appreciate you coming on and just giving the clarity that you can give. Um, so I think we're going to, well, we can talk about how we release this. But um, anyway, it's been a really worthy time, so thank right. you for driving from Tulsa. And, no uh, problem. Thanks for having me. And with the prayer, and I, I want to thank anyone who spent time with us. Um, if this isn't the most worthy conversation to be had, I don't, I don't know what it is other than more foundational Christian stuff. But um, if you're a United Methodist that cares about your denomination, I hope it's, it's been a worthy and enlightening time for you. And uh, God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon the Methodist movement. We ask that your will would be done in the United Methodist Church and the Global Methodist Church and the Free Methodist Church and the other Wesleyan bodies that uh, try to maintain the goodly heritage that we have. But we're mindful of... Uh, the word from Ms. Dennison today, that uh, you are Lord and Christ is our Savior, regardless of what Christian body we find ourselves within. So we ask, Lord, that you would help us to center ourselves in you so that these denominational woes don't take up more real estate in our mind and spirit than they should, but that uh, you would help us to, to govern ourselves with righteousness in the midst of these disagreements. Father, we ask your blessing upon James and his ministry and upon Asbury as they, uh, as they discern their future. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Goodbye.